Americans love politics. We love politics. Americans love eschatology. We love end times. We love end times theorizing, theorizing about the end of days. We love politics. Mix the two together, and you get left-wing and right-wing American Christianity. Mix Christianity with politics and utopianism, and you get the evangelical cultural wars. Make Christianity all about America, all about politics. You get Christian transformationalism and triumphalism and Mormonism. <laughs> But is there an eschatology without politics? An end times that's not nationalistic? Is there a Christianity free of party policies and ideology? Is there a theology focused completely on a kingdom not of this world? A theology not of this world where sojourners can long for the kingdom to come, a theology that makes us exiles, longing for a better country, a, a city whose foundation and builder is God, a theology that causes us to lead quiet and godly lives with all dignity and respect. Is there an end times theory like that? And there is called Advent. Advent. Advent makes Christ the beginning, the middle, and the end of eschatology and all of history, in fact. Advent centers our theology, piety, and practices on Christ. Advent focuses the church on Christ and him crucified. So free your Christianity of politics, fill it with Advent and you will find the love of God and you'll find rest for our hearts are restless until they rest in Advent. I'm exploring this morning what I'm calling Advent love from Romans 13, Advent love. It's the title of my sermon, Advent love. And it's not love of Advent that I want us to look at this morning. We're not exploring the love of Advent but the love from Advent. The love that comes from Advent, and it goes something like this. We love because he first loved us. Verse 8 of Romans 13 begins, Owe no one anything. There it is. You're not allowed to take a loan from the, from the bank. Owe no one anything. That is not... But Paul forbids here. Paul has just argued that we owe the government our taxes. The text does not move us into a holy communion where we share everything in common. As a member of society, you may engage in worldly commerce, which will entail incurring debt. It's not that we incur debt. It's that we, as Christians, must pay off our debt per the terms of the contract. No, owe no one anything is hyperbole. It's a figure of speech. It's a figure, figure of speech that makes this point, except, verse 8, no, owe no one anything except to love each other. The point is love. This figure of speech highlights love, Advent love. 
And Advent love, first off, we see is worldly. Advent love is worldly love. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The one who loves another. If you're confused about that another, love another, if you're confused about who that other is, I think Jesus' parable, the good Samaritan, sums it up quite well, right? It's love any and all who have need. Anyone who has a need, love. And this love that you share with neighbor, this love that fulfills the law, as it says, should be tangible. That is, the world should see it. Ergo, Advent, love is worldly love. The world should see your love. It should be love for neighbor. Not just love for your own kind, right? That's easy. That's kind of selfish love. You only love your kind. You only hang out with your kind. But Advent love is worldly. It hangs out with all kinds, the kind that has need. Advent love is worldly. Second thing we see here is Advent love demands. Verse 9, for the commandments... You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. Any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now we see the law here, the Ten Commandments. It's a bunch of do-nots, right? Bunch of do-nots. As if God is afraid someone out there is having too much fun, right? No, God wants you to have fun. God wants you to enjoy creation. He made it. He loves it. Enjoy it. The problem is not creation. God wants us to enjoy life, but not at the expense of another. You see, we are selfish, so love requires do nots. Love demands empathy. Love your neighbor as yourself. Yourself is key to this verse. Yourself. We all love ourselves. It's good to take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. Love yourself. You, your family, are your closest neighbors. We work to provide for ourselves. We work to provide for our neighbors. But don't stop there. Widen the circle of care to include others, not just yourself. I, I, I suppose I, su- I support widening it to, to the church, your spiritual family, and caring for and serving your spiritual family. And then you can widen it beyond that and widen it to mercy and to all who have need. You're good to yourself. Empathy as yourself. Now widen that scope of service to others. For Advent love demands, it demands goodness. Verse 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Really, this verse says love demands the law. Love actually demands the Ten Commandments. Love demands the law because we're not loving. Did God just pick, do you, do you think just God just picked these Ten Commandments out of thin air? You know, he just kind of assembled out of, out of nowhere. Oh, here, I like this. Oh, let's just go with this. That sounds good. Yeah, throw that in the mix. Are peace and purity arbitrary? No, God is love and, and love acts. God shows the love of action. It's the sacrificing of oneself for the betterment of another. And so the Ten Commandments are not reactions, but actions. Evil's a reaction. Love is an action. The law is an action. It's actions of goodness. Because love demands acts of goodness. 
So love demands the law. Evil is a reaction. It's a reaction of pride and selfishness. Someone cuts you off in traffic, what do you do? Well, how dare anyone cut me off? You honk your horn, right? How dare anyone anywhere do anything wrong to you? How dare anyone anywhere have a bad day around you? And so you honk your horn. You blow your horn as loud as you can, honking your horn at someone because they cut you off. It's the same as a toddler arguing over the last cookie. My cookie. That's what you're doing. You're honking your horn. You're basically saying, my lane. My lane. Reaction, right? You're having a reaction. Honking is the equivalent of a spoiled brat. So we got shall nots. Shall nots regulating spoiled wretches like me. You see, the law are, the Ten Commandments are regulations against fallen reactions. And that's how you have to look at the law at first. It's, it's regulations for fallen reactions. The Ninth Commandment doesn't say, thou shalt not lie. Well, that's what you hear. But when you look at it in context, it's saying, liar, stop lying. Because there would be no necessity of the Ninth if you weren't a liar. We are not good. So love demands the law. Verse 11. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. Wake from sleep. Who's sleeping? Those who need to be awake. (laughs) Those who need to be awake. And Advent is the alarm clock. Advent is the alarm clock that wakes us up to the hour beyond this age. Advent awakens us to a new time. It's a heavenly time, the hour of the kingdom, not of this world. A time to seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. A time not to seek the things below, not to seek earthly, worldly possessions and passions, but seek the things above where you are now seated so the sleep here is the ignorance of unbelief. It's the sleep of, of selfishness. It's the sleep of living my way and my way only. It's the sleep of my cookie. It's time to wake up. Advent. Wake up. You are not your own. You are not your own. But you belong to another. You belong to another who's paid the price. Now think, act, live, and move in Christ. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. The end times is now times. The end times is now times. Now is time. Now is time to put off, cast off the darkness. Now is time to put on the armor of light. Sanctification is end times. End times is sanctification times. It's it's now time to put on Christ so that you can put off this evil world. 
this dead, dying world that's been already defeated. Christ has already crushed the serpent's head. He's already destroyed the serpent. He's already destroyed the kingdom of darkness. He's bound the strong man. He's now collecting the spoils. Now is the time to live. And so the sleep here is the ignorance of unbelief. It's our fallen nature. It's our depravity, our depravity that's held humanity in darkness. But the son of salvation is rose from the empty tomb. The light is broken into the darkness to awaken us by its light. Saved by Christ, we are born again into the end of time. We're now living it. We're now living eschatology. We're now living in end times. What time is it? It is time to love our neighbors as ourselves. It's the time to fulfill the law because we can. We now can for the first time. So wake up and love. That's Paul's argument. Wake up and love. You've been justified. You're being sanctified. Wake up, love. Because you're loved. Wake up because you are loved. And loved by a triune God. And so Advent love awakens us to the trajectory of history. Where is this world headed? If you all have a grandfather, you probably know. Hopefully your grandfather taught you rightly. To hell in a handbasket. <laughs> That's what I heard from my grandfather growing up. This world's going to hell in a handbasket. Hell in a handbasket. How do we fix it? Politics? Are you kidding me? That's the only answer we got? I think the problem's deeper than that. You see, we must fight the forces of darkness, and the fight is not nationalistic, it's not political, it's spiritual, for the weapons that we possess are not of this world. Our weapon of choice is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And the church wields this sword to fulfill the Great Commission. The church fulfills the great commission, makes disciples through word and sacraments. And by the word and sacraments, the church kills that old man that clings to you. He's killing off that old nature so that you can finally, in your sanctification, put it off for good. Strike down that old dead man that clings to you. The church, through the preaching of the gospel, weakens our sinful nature that we can finish and fight the good fight of the faith. This is the end times battle. It's Advent love, killing selfishness because we are not our own. Wake up. Advent awakens us to our place in the world. We have a responsibility now to love neighbor. We must work toward their good, to even fight for their good. Do we want our city under the works of darkness? Shame and wickedness violate our neighbor? Are we okay with that? It is a form of aggression. And we're a people of peace, right? We live by a principle of peace, so we must fight. But this fight for our neighbor's good is grounded in creation. In order of fulfilling the great commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. That's the whole point of all these commandments. Everything here Paul appeals to is the moral law. You see, God is the creator. God is the sustainer from whom all creation interacts and with whom all creation is responsible. And so creation is not neutral. It's under God's moral law. And the moral law is that which Paul appeals to in our text. It's the second table of the law. If you look at it, it's all the second table of the law. It's the duties that we owe to neighbor. Do not covet. Do not commit murder, adultery, steal. Summed up in one word, love your neighbor as yourself. These are the duties, the second table of law, the sixth commandments that we owe our neighbor. 
So it's legitimate for Christians to argue and pursue the upholding of the law. We don't want murder and so forth. We want it in our civil sphere. What we must realize as Christians is that this fight is not the gospel. That's where things get confused. This fight is not the great commission. It's the great commandment. So wake up and, and recognize that there's the great commandment, which we feel, and there's the great commission, which the church fulfills. We're not building the kingdom of God by being a good neighbor. We do not seek the regulation of the Ten Commandments in society with an eye to the kingdom come as if we're building the city of God. You see, we, we seek the regulation of the Ten Commandments not looking back to Advent, but creation with an eye on common grace. We want to see goodness in the world, that we can lead quiet and godly lives. So he says, verse 13, let us walk properly as in the daytime. And, and what he argues here is anything any decent individual would want. Not orgies, not drunken, not sexual immorality, sensuality, quarreling, or jealousy. Those are virtue or vices that all decent people want to avoid. There are common grace, natural law, virtues that all should seek. But here's the point. Only those transformed by Christ, only those transformed by Christ, only Advent can truly keep the law. So he says, verse 14, put on the Lord Jesus. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And this verse grounds the entire command in the great commandment. Or the great commission, rather. Here the great commandment's grounded in the great commission. Now is time to be delivered from sin and misery. Now is time to put on salvation, not by works of the law, but by the gospel. Put on Christ. The gospel. Our fight is gospel. If this world's going to be transformed, it's going to be transformed to each heart regenerated by the Spirit and the Word. And true transformation, true transformation is putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, true transformation is baptismal. It's Great Commission stuff. Galatians 3.27, for as many of you were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. If you were baptized, you have been clothed in another Clothed in an alien righteousness that is not your own. Clothed in Christ himself. We've put on Christ's righteousness and baptism that we can truly love. The baptized can fulfill the law. So instead of reacting, we are to act under our new nature. As a result of our baptism, we have put on Christ. In Christ, we now share his death, burial, and resurrection. Our old man with Adam has been severed. And in its place, we've become attached to the new man, Jesus Christ himself, whom we have put on. And so thy kingdom has come, is coming, and will come through and in Advent. This is the end times without politics. It's time to live the lifestyle of the new age where it is not I who live, but Christ in me. It's not I who live. We must move forward by the light of the past. 
We move forward by the light of the past. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And that moves us forward. Because we love. Because he first loved us. Christ has died and we do not belong to this age. Christ has risen and we belong to the age to come. Christ will come again. So we are to live in the present in the light of our future. We are to become what we are. Righteous. And we will one day be perfect. And we must live what we will one day be. So God has put you under a debt you will never pay off. We cannot go bankrupt here, but must budget our lives to this end. Love. That's the virtue of Christianity. That's our ethic. Love. Christians are called to live under a debt of love. Love your neighbor as yourself, for by the advent of Christ you are loved no matter your sin and misery. And you are loved beyond the end of time and forever. Loved by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. At Covenant Reformed Church in Missoula, Montana, we sincerely believe God's Word and faithfully teach it. We invite you to worship with us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. For more information, please visit MissoulaURC.com. That's MissoulaURC.com.